0: Everyone is called to have a spiritual life and there's no such thing as a non-intellectual spirituality. So whether you're a 90 year old grandmother or a 12 year old child or young person getting ready to think about college, all of us are called to the spiritual life and therefore called to know, study something about God.
1: Welcome to the Catholic Theology Show, sponsored by Ave Maria University. I'm your host, Michael Dauphiné, and today I am uh, thrilled to have with me uh, Father Cajetan Cuddy, a Dominican. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a great joy to be with you. Excellent. Father Cuddy is a professor of uh, systematic and moral theology at the Dominican House of Studies in D.C., and uh, we're just so thrilled to have you on the show today. And we really want to spend today talking about how to study theology. Uh, just, I, I think a question that uh, many people, as they listen to more theology and want to grow in their faith, really want to know. Uh, but before we begin with that, I'd like maybe a little bit more of a provocative question, which is why study theology at all? Even if we believe right in God, isn't it more important to pray than to study? So why should we spend time kind of thinking and studying about god uh when we could simply go to the chapel
0: right and pray
1: so how would you answer that father
0: i think that's a very good and a very common question even if we don't articulate it as well as you have i think many people ask or carry this question in themselves i'd say there are two parts to an answer the first would be on our side and the second would be on god's side the first part Mm. our side There's no such thing as a non-intellectual spirituality. And the reason why, that may sound peculiar at first, but the reason why there's no such thing as a non-intellectual spirituality is because our spirit, our soul, is our intellect Mm. and is our will, which is the intellect's appetite. And so in order for us to be spiritual, all Catholics, all Christians know that the spiritual life is important, that is necessarily and indeed essentially an intellectual thing because Mm -hmm. your soul your spirit is your intellect that's the highest power of the soul so that's on our side you can't be non-intellectually spiritual or have a non-intellectual spirituality now that's not to say that we have to be uh proponents of an intellectualism Mm -hmm. and that would mean that ideas are the end, Mm -hmm. or the intellect getting excited or stimulated is the end. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is that the soul, the spirit of the human person, spirituality is a movement of the intellect that's ordered to real things. And that's where we move to the second part. So if the first part is on our side, you should study theology, which has a certain intellectual movement, and that's because you, there's no such thing as a non-intellectual spirituality on our side. Now, on the side of God, you can't really love God if you don't know Him. Hmm. And so there's this uh, imaginary scenario that some speakers use, which I think is helpful. So you're married, Michael, of course. Yes. And you love your wife. And if you got in uh, here and told us, you know, I love my wife, and you described her as having uh, blonde hair and, you know, uh, deep uh, or bright, you know, blue eyes, et cetera, et cetera. And it would be very beautiful and very nice, but I think as I recall, your wife is not blonde and she does not have blue eyes. (laughs) And so as nice as things might Mm -hmm, be, mm -hmm. and we would be touched by the kind words, if that doesn't actually reflect the object of your love, your wife, she's not honored by that. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. theology is important because if you go to the chapel without really knowing who God is, and you say nice things about him, to your friends, and even in your heart, you might say nice things to him, but if they're not true, Mm. you're actually not having a real relationship with him.
1: Yes, that's interesting. I I know in uh, St. Teresa of Avila's interior castle, which is really a story of her own uh, prayer life and her own journey to God uh, towards the end, as she's kind of deep in the mysteries of this marriage, marital union with our, lord with god she says right never set aside the sacred humanity of jesus right which means we're never just going into an unknown god we're coming to god as he has revealed himself in the sacred humanity of jesus and that means right all of his words his actions right and and so it's that concreteness right and so we want to get to know that concrete the hu- sacred humanity right the humanity that is also divine because it's right the incarnate word and the more we come to know that then we can more deeply love right it wouldn't make sense just to come to study it without wanting to love but it also wouldn't make sense to want to love without forming our minds according to that reality that's really uh, beautifully put uh father uh you know thank you for that also reminds me uh, there's a famous word that often gets used for uh, when in the gospels it speaks about repent john the baptist says repent jesus says repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and sometimes people will note that in the greek it says metanoia and people will sometimes say that's like turning around right 360 degrees right which is a joke because right you're only supposed to turn around <laughs> you turn around 360 degrees you're just doing what you're doing now you're supposed to turn around 180 degrees but that metanoia, meta in a way means to kind of change, to turn, to have that higher order. But noia comes from the Greek word for nous, mm-hmm. for knowing, for seeing. It's our mind. So repentance is actually a changing of the mind, changing of the spirit. Repenting means turning all of us, mind, right, our full intellect, which means our intellect and our will, away from unreality in ourselves to God. Uh, so even that sense of repentance, which is an action of the will, is also meant to be a renewal of the mind, as uh, Paul says beautifully in uh, Romans 12, right, uh, that we should be transformed. Actually, want to read that passage because I think it's a great uh, passage for thinking about the nature of theology, and maybe you could just comment on this a little bit so in Romans 12 Paul says right I appeal to you therefore brethren by the mercies of God present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship and that word for spiritual is actually kind of in the Greek logical right it's that sense of that intellectual right do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may prove what is the will of God what is good perfect, and acceptable. So say a little bit about this renewal of the mind.
0: So it's one of my favorite passages, Romans 12, two, And I think it is exactly in this verse, or this verse reflects exactly what you have just said very beautifully and profoundly. And that is that the intellect by its nature, our mind, our rationality, our ability to think and understand. They're outward directed. I like to say that the intellect and the will are like the two spiritual arms of the soul. And so when you understand something, when you reflect upon something with your mind, when you contemplate something, your intellect is the arm that pulls in. When I see a tree or I understand that two plus two equals four, the form, the idea, the nature of a tree and of the truth of mathematics comes into my mind and rests there transforms it i am different after i know learn understand a truth about reality i'm different after than i was before and the will then once you have that idea once you have that conformity with reality in your mind the will is the second arm it moves out towards the thing so god has given us in our soul The inward from outward to inward movement of the intellect encountering real things, real people, real trees, real food, a real God, and attempting to understand that reality. And then the will moves out so that we have not just an idea about reality, but we actually have a certain contact with that reality. And so this is why we could boil this down to simply, you are in a sense what you know. What you spend time meditating upon, what you spend time contemplating. Mm -hmm. And we know this. So if if I spend all my days uh, playing Xbox, you know, as fine as that may be an occasion, but if that's all I do, my thoughts, my imagination, my dream, my preoccupations, my friends, because I'm gonna be drawn towards friends who also appreciate the video game world, they're all gonna be shaped by upon what I spend my time contemplating. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if I spend time contemplating sports, we know this, if two guys are strangers are sitting on a bench and they try to have a conversation and they both, they may be strangers, but if they share sports interests, they're immediately friends because Mm -hmm. this is a point of union. And likewise, when we understand, contemplate God, That's why the church is one, God is the principle of the church's ultimate unity. Um, So we are what we think about, we become more and more conformed to, like the realities that we spend our time contemplating, or the myths, sadly, that we spend our time countenancing. And then secondly, it's through, or rather because of the fact that the soul uh, has these two spiritual arms, Mm -hmm. the intellect and the will, God has made us, enabled us to both contemplate through the intellect and be united to through love, through the will. Uh, that's
1: that's so well, well put, and that's a, it's a great image, uh, Father. Uh, would you just tell, uh, especially for listeners who may not know uh, you, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself. Uh, I understand that you're a convert to the Catholic faith, uh, obviously, at some point, uh, you discerned a vocation to the Dominicans. Could you just say a little bit about maybe those two stages in
0: your own kind of intellectual and spiritual journey? Sure. So I was very blessed. So I was adopted at three months of age from South Korea by very uh, loving and uh, devout evangelical Protestant parents. And I was reared in the countryside of Western Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And so I'm in the middle of the woods and uh, then I grew up eventually there through adoptions and then my parents gave birth to, you know, I had grew up with four younger sisters. Mm -hmm. So I was an only boy, the oldest with a lot of time in his hands in the woods and with severe allergies. (laughs) So I said, what am I going to do? So I began to read Mm -hmm. uh, philosophy and theology. I was homeschooled and my I can still remember they gave us for Christmas one year, this world encyclopedia and i was just flipping through it it was probably expensive thick paper but i came across a section on philosophy i was like oh this is very interesting so i'm reading about aristotle and plato and then i discovered cuz i was an evangelical christian you know who you know the, the theologians like luther and calvin who started that and basically from about the age of 12 onward i was very much interested in the reformed evangelical calvinistic presbyterian theology and so, of course, I was very anti-Catholic because I thought, quite frankly, that Catholics earned their way to heaven mm. uh, through good works because we were saved by faith alone according to the Reformed tradition and then that they imposed, Catholics imposed outside compromises of the truth through tradition. It's the Bible alone, as Protestants say. So I went to a very good uh, college for one semester called Grove City and there I met one of our mutual friends or his son, Gabriel, and his father was Scott Hahn. Uh-huh. Wow! And, and I had known about Dr. Hahn's story because I knew some of his Calvinist mentors before he had converted. We thought he was crazy. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Hahn very kindly came to, to this Grove City College where we were freshman first semester. And we were talking about predestination, one of my favorite topics, and he recommended a Dominican, the doctoral... Advisor, the professor of St. John Paul II at the Angelicum in Rome, Reginald Gary Goulagrange, wrote a book, a Catholic priest wrote a book called Predestination. And I was very perplexed because if Catholics don't really, they're crazy, how could they have a doctrine of predestination? So I read it. This Dominican, Father Gary Goulagrange, again, the professor of John Paul II in his advanced studies, and I saw in this book very clearly uh, uh, an incisive, accurate, profound, spiritual account of predestination, again, one of my favorite topics as a Calvinist, that did two things. One, it recognized some of the things that I held dear from the Protestant Reformed tradition, namely that God is in control, Mm -hmm. that he is the first cause of our salvation, while also not falling into some of the dangers that Calvin and Luther fell into, like double predestination mm-hmm. where God doesn't just move you to heaven, but he erroneously, they would claim moves some people to hell. Yeah.
1: Actually, I always Please. found in that uh, book, I think, Grange, uh, and I find this using it helpful sometimes with students as he distinguishes the, the received teaching of predestination from what he calls predestined, uh, predestinarianism. Yes. Where, it's like where we have an exaggeration, exaggerated notion of God's predestination so that it wipes out human causality, human freedom. Uh, but I thought that's an interesting way of kind of separating right, an authentic account from this uh, kind of exaggerated account that actually, by trying to give more glory to God, it actually gives less glory to his creation, which ends up, ironically, giving less glory to God. Yes, right? One of the powerful things about Aquinas is Aquinas thinks God's so amazing and powerful that he can actually create creatures that are real and act.
0: And it doesn't, it's not because he has less power, but because he has more. Yeah. One of, as the Thomist tradition, Thomists are like the the students of St. Thomas Aquinas. We don't call them Aquinasians. (laughs) We say Thomists. Yeah. And one of the great adages or the great sayings of the Thomist tradition is that God is 100% the cause Mm -hmm. of your salvation Mm -hmm. and you yourself are 100% mm-hmm. the cause. There's no 50, 50, That's 80, 20, That's 90, beautiful. 10. It's mm-hmm.
1: 100%, 100%. Yeah. And so I didn't mean to, yeah. t- no, I, I no. want to get you like, uh, like let you continue that. Uh, so that was kind of where your, your, your theological thinking and your study and your conversions
0: beginning to unfold. Yes. And so then I read a bunch of Catholic things, including some things that you wrote, I can mm-hmm. remember. Uh, Professor Dauphiné was publishing many articles and even books uh, at a rapid rate, very impressive at that time, which were very helpful to me. And so I decided after one semester at Grove City College to transfer to the Franciscan University of Steubenville. Mm-hmm. So I converted there my second semester freshman year, and I had the great privilege of and the honor of uh, living with Scott Hahn and his family, working as his research assistant for the next three and a half years. And during that time, I was really uh perplexed because I loved Aquinas through Father Gary Goulagrange, again John Paul II's teacher, on predestination, and realized this Dominican uh theologian and priest had written many, many, many things about all of sacred theology. And so I liked him, but then I read other professors, philosophers and theologians, some living and some dead, and I realized that it was a little hard to understand uh, the truth about God. There were many quote unquote perspectives. And it was during those three and a half years that I began to read all of these people and discover first of all, that we're not about perspectives, viewpoints, or about an object, Mm -hmm. the reality. And I basically, and this wasn't planned, uh, God's province, I'm very grateful, I kind of, after three and a half years into this present day, concluded, Father Geragoo was basically right. (laughs) And so from Father Geragoo, I learned about the Dominicans, and you asked Mm -hmm. about that. And the Dominican Order was founded in 1216, and they're known as the Order of Preachers. That's why after every Dominican's name, you see a comma, and then the letters OP, Order of Preachers. And so after spending time with Dr. Hahn and learning from him about uh, his very uh, compelling uh, project of uniting scripture and theology, and he too appreciates Gary Goulagrange. Then I had uh, the great joy of meeting one of your other faculty members, one of your colleagues, uh, Father Romana Cesario, whose work I had long admired on St. Thomas Aquinas. And he was one of the first Dominicans I met. And when you meet, as you know, I'm spending much time with him, This is a man who has no doubts that reality is real Mm -hmm. and that truth is knowable. Mm -hmm. And I had never met a priest, a man, a theologian, a philosopher who just lived every moment in light of this truth, reality oriented. He's deeply a contemplative. And he told me, so the reason I'm like, this is because of the order of preachers of a Dominican. Mm -hmm. I'm a Dominican. And so my discernment wasn't, complicated because Mm. I just saw from my early reading St. Thomas who was a Dominican and then meeting Dr. Hahn who loved Mm. St. Thomas and then meeting Father Cesario and reading more Dominicans um, and benefiting from authors like yourself who wrote about Aquinas St. Thomas uh, that's how I ended up here. Wow that's that's really beautiful and
1: uh, for those who may not know my and you can correct me here or teach me as well because I think there are kind of two mottos that are sometimes associated with the Dominicans. I think one's formal and one's informal. one is veritas truth. Uh, and so right it's yes, we love right Jesus Christ, but we love Jesus Christ because he is the truth, the way, the truth and life because he is the way to the source of all truth who is God. right uh, And so that sense of veritas truth, uh, and then also this idea, right, of um, uh, you know uh, handing on to others that which has been contemplated. How do you? Are, which, by the way, which are, are either of those two actually the motto? And then so how I do think you you're absolutely both? right. <laughs> yes,
0: you're absolutely right. Yeah. Truth is the motto, Veritas. Yes, and uh, the unofficial motto, mm-hmm. you know, to to. to To contemplate and hand on to others that which you have contemplated, which is God. Mm -hmm. That comes from the Summa Theologiae, St. Thomas's masterwork, as you know. That is the unofficial motto. And it's interesting, this may strike our listeners uh, peculiar, you know, this emphasis on truth. Again, we fear kind of an overly intellectualistic conception of things. But all we mean by that, you know, everyone, no one's against love. Mm. No one's gonna say, you know what, I really think there's too much love in the world. No one's going (laughs) to say that. And what we would say, the Dominicans, and we think we're not being original here, this is just the truth is that the truth, is that there's no such thing as a loving lie. Mm, That's impossible. So obviously love is important. Charity is the most, uh, is the form of all of the virtues. That's what unites us to God. But if you don't have truth, then you really don't have true love. There's no such thing as a fake love, an ersatz mm-hmm. love. And so, what I, so if somebody were to ask, maybe a listener saying, okay, all these names, Gary Goulagrange, St. Thomas, Father Cesario, I know about Scott Hahn, but everybody else, I'm very lost. <laughs> and they say, what is St. Thomas Aquinas's, what is he all about? Is he just a smart old medieval monk or friar? No, here's what I would say I would say, St. Thomas Aquinas was an intellectual or we could say a spiritual architect now what do we mean by that well if you go to france or italy or any of or even england and germany and look at the old church buildings or the monasteries they're all structured very uh, precisely there's the place for the chapel and there's the place for the refectory where you eat There's the the dormitory where you sleep there's the library where you study so in terms of the architecture of the monastery everything has its proper place it's perfectly pointed ordered and in the center is the chapel god Mm -hmm. and they viewed the monks viewed god as the center that shaped your whole life your eating your studying your sleeping your recreating went around god and then as you know very well michael the time monastic life life in a monastery every hour of every day has a purpose some is for work much of it's for prayer some of it's for study some of it's for recreation and so what and this is because monks live around god they're ordered to god and they're supposed to focus on god and their life their monastic life is bears the shape both in architecture and in time of this God-centeredness. And so what Aquinas did is he took that, he was a religious, he was a friar, he was a Dominican, he lived this kind of life, is what he did is he basically said, I want to make God the center of my thinking and of my heart. Mm -hmm. And therefore he put every truth, every doctrine, every principle, both of reason and of faith, in kind of a spiritual monastery an intellectual monastery so don't be intimidated dear listeners if you feel i could i've tried to read aquinas on the internet and it makes no sense to me all you really need to know to get the heart of aquinas is that just as saint benedict founded monastic life in the western world just as saint dominic the founder of the dominicans brought monastic life to the heart of civilization the city God raised up this great saint, St. Thomas Aquinas, to bring monastic order, which is to say, an order around God, to God, and about God, to the order of ideas, truth, and our contemplation of reality. So what is St. Thomas, what is Thomism about? It's about an intellectual monasticism, where God shapes everything that we think, and that's exactly the verse you started with. Mm -hmm. He was about the transformation of the mind, the renewal of the mind around God. Great. Well, uh, thanks so much. That's a great great
1: way of trying to think even about all of Aquinas' teaching, his Summa Theologia, his great work, right? That in part, we begin to see the importance of the parts when we see the order of the whole. Uh, and I think in some ways, that's one thing that often as students today, and maybe as moderns, we're very good at seeing parts. We lost the ability to see the whole and what aquinas is helping us to do is when you see the big picture of god and everything coming from everything being organized around god uh in all of creation and in all of his revelation uh, then everything begins to fit into place right and i think aquinas that's partly why uh he's ever you know almost uh, as as augustine described god it reminds me that is teaching is like ever ancient ever new because Amen. in a way you can always grow a new tree you can always add a tree to aquinas's thinking because he shows you the whole forest. Uh, So let's uh, take a quick break and then we'll come back uh, and uh, let's really dive into how to study theology and get into some practical tips and suggestions. You're listening to The Catholic Theology Show, presented by Ave Maria University. If you'd like to support our mission, we invite you to prayerfully consider joining our Annunciation Circle a monthly giving program aimed at supporting our staff, faculty, and Catholic faith formation. You can visit us at AveMaria.edu to learn more. Thank you for your continued support, and now let's get back to the show. Welcome back to the show. And so I have on my guest with us today, Father Cajetan Cuddy, Dominican, uh, who's a professor of moral and systematic theology at the Dominican House of Studies. And we want to spend a little time today talking about, right, how to study theology. Uh, and again, this when, when I think about this idea of studying theology, I, I can't help but think about uh, St. Jose Maria Escriva, uh, one of the great 20th century saints. Uh, and he would say that he wanted people to have the piety of children and the doctrine of theologians. And he actually wanted you know, lay members of uh, Opus Dei to over their lifetime almost to get the same kind of theological education that priests would get. Obviously, priests would get it in a short period of time, but they might get it a couple weeks a year. But this idea that studying the truth about God really matters. So let's kind of begin uh, with a little just some uh, what are some things that you would say to people that maybe are convicted, want to study theology more? Uh, But let's begin with those who are maybe they're you know studying engineering, at a you know large state school. Maybe they're working uh, as a a banker somewhere. Maybe they're uh, home raising children. Just right. So like all these different
0: sorts of people, where might they begin? So the first thing, very practically, I would say that when we watch EWTN or listen to podcasts like this Mm -hmm. or good talks. And we become very excited about learning more about God. Immediately we think I have to stop what I'm doing, Mm -hmm. go to grad school, Mm -hmm. become a professor of theology or a catechist. (laughs) (laughs) He's Dr. Professor Dauphine's laugh. No, and that's, I would say first, you might, maybe you should do that, but probably not. So that's very important. First thing is to study theology does not mean that you leave your family, your work, and go to a monastery yes. and begin something. Yeah, I love it. Uh, yeah. Every
1: time a student
0: uh, first talks to me about wanting to go to graduate
1: school or wanting to do doctorate, I always begin by trying to talk them out of it. Yes. Um, and uh, and obviously, in, in some ways, if they push through that, then maybe that's because that's really what they want to do. But I always tell them we need, of course, all lay people or, or, and, and priests should be well formed theologically, right? And that's really a calling for all of us as part of our baptized. Right. If we are, rel- I mean, if we are relatively well-informed, intelligent people, we ought to have certainly theological knowledge that is up to and at least at par with the rest of our knowledges about the world and things.
0: Amen. Yes. And and it's because to go back to one of our earlier themes, everyone is called to have a spiritual life, and there's mm. no such thing as a non-intellectual spirituality. So whether you're a ninety-year-old yeah. grandmother or a 12 year old uh, you know, child or young person getting ready to think about college, all of us are called to uh, the spiritual life and therefore called to know, study something about God. Mm-hmm. So the, that's the first thing. Second thing, I would make a distinction that might surprise a number of listeners. Usually the first thing we do when we say, I wanna study about God and God's immaterial, I can't find him. I know he's in heaven and he's in the tabernacle, but when I go and talk to him, he doesn't talk back. So we immediately then go to the Bible or to the catechism. Now, this is where we have to make a distinction. The Bible is the holy written word of God. The word of God is broader than the Bible. It's sacred tradition. It is includes the scriptures and tradition both, but the Bible is the unique is a unique and prized expression. However, the Bible is not God. Mm -hmm. And it's a subtle point, but I notice more and more amongst both lay people and grad students in theology and even professors, we have kind of made theology almost like a Bible study. Now, again, to clarify, the Bible is a very sacred book. It's God is the, the divine author with many human authors working together. But the Bible is an instrument which is meant to bring us to God himself. We could know the devil knows that book in front of you Michael mm-hmm. better than anybody else but he is not going to heaven. Secondly, <clears throat> no learning about theology does not mean as an end studying theologians. Even wonderful ones like St. <laughs> <Saint> Thomas Aquinas. <laughs> so to be a theologian to know about God is not as an end. I want to know everything Aquinas knew or everything the church fathers knew or everything St. John Paul II knew. No, the uh, so my this is Really, it sounds might sound pedantic, but it's true. Theology in its literal definition means the study of God or even speech about God. And so the first thing we have to do is think about what does it mean to study God? It does not mean to study a book as an end, or a theologian as an end, or even the Bible as an end, a purpose, the final stopping point, but rather with through the Bible and with theologians, both living and the saints of the past, to look closely to God. I have a feeling you want to say yeah, something, no, Yeah, I
1: think that's I think yeah. that's so well put, and it reminds me that Fetus Ratio, John Paul II, actually, and, and in part there, he's really defending the integrity of the Bible, and defending the integrity of the word of God, first in part written in scripture, as capable of mediating divine truths. Uh, And in the midst of that, he also says, but we must not fall into a biblicism. Mm. That idea that we can't, right? The the Bible is part of the way, and it's kind of like the premier written way. It's the written word of God, Uh, but it's meant to communicate to us truths that are who Jesus Christ is. Uh, and and if we only stick with a biblicism, we could be limited to perhaps being worried that we have to stick with the words or the images only of Scripture when the church had to come up with using other words famously right in uh, Nicaea the church said that Christ or the son was homoousius with the father consubstantial with the father even though the word homoousius and consubstantial are not in scripture right the word trinity safeguards the mystery of Jesus Christ as the revelation of the father but is again not in scripture so so i think that is something that yeah, he mentions and i i like too the fact that the catechism at one point says right christianity is not a religion of the book it's a religion of the person jesus christ although i do remind people that it is a religion with a book
0: yes absolutely absolutely absolutely. and many books even yes Yes. of course magisterial yes yes. 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 yeah yeah yes i love that but
1: no but i do think that's a great thing because i also think too is if people go to and and even if we look at say second timothy right 316 beautiful line about scripture uh, right, all scriptures inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Again, scripture is awesome. It's inspired by God, right? You know, it's 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 inerrant as long as we're understanding it according to the teachings of the church. But it's for the purpose of training us in righteousness, for adjusting our minds to the reality that is God. Uh, and that does, in a way, force us to kind of go beyond Scripture. Right? Scripture itself raises questions in some ways that Scripture itself can't answer. Uh, and I sometimes remind students, too, is that there's a beautiful sense in which we completely believe right, uh, in, in the you know, truthfulness of Scripture. And at the same time, remember that either a lot of it sometimes are going to be using metaphorical texts, quick expressions, Uh, that you're going to also have times where, you know, Paul is also just dealing with a crisis in Corinth, so he writes a letter to Corinth. There's amazing theology. There's amazing proclamation of who Jesus Christ is, the reality of the resurrection. It's a beautiful line, right, in 1 Corinthians 15, where he says, right, if Christ is not raised, we are the most to be of all pitied, or we are the most uh, pitiable of all people, Uh, right? But you can't get the entire, like, he wasn't writing a treatise. So you have to you know, kind of gain these insights, but recognize that we also have to kind of move from them to try to understand God. So I think that is a beautiful
0: uh, way of beginning. Yeah. And yes, absolutely. Everything you say, I, I agree with 100%. And yeah, the Bible is precious. The magisterial texts are precious. Certainly the works mm-hmm. of Aquinas, Augustine, Irenaeus, Athanasius, all the great fathers and doctors of the church are precious, but they are not God. Mm -hmm. And you can make books Mm. and theologians and ideas about books and theologians, and even ideas about God, you can make them idols. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're, That's so the two negative things. One, you don't have to change your life to study theology, Mm -hmm. to study God, because everyone's called to have a spiritual life, which is to say, a life where your intellect searches for the truth of God. Secondly, don't uh, the, the theology is about God, it's and it's indirectly as an instrument, as an aid about the theologians. Because I like to think if we look at the, 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 the theologians or the, 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 the writers of theology, many of them great, u- very useful, many of them saints. But if we think of them like a telescope, mm. God is huge, but mm-hmm. he's a little elusive to our comprehension, more than a little. It's like a planet far away, and through a telescope, we can see more clearly the profound God, just like we can see through a telescope more profoundly the planet. But what we can do to, especially today is now, instead of looking at like Aquinas, how did he set up through his theological contemplation, his telescope? What we've done is now we turn our telescopes and we're just looking Mm. at Aquinas, Mm -hmm. or I'm looking at, you know, Professor Dauphine, or I'm looking at Father Mancini or Professor Nudd, you know, I'm Mm -hmm. listing professors here. And what I do is I do look to them, okay, Daphne is a smart guy, he's a holy guy, he sees God, I wanna see him clearly, God clearly, so I'm gonna look at how does Daphne set up his tripod, what kind of degrees, angles does he have? But I'm not yeah. focusing mm-hmm. on your on you as an end. Mm-hmm. So it's about God, we're looking to the planet, to God, to the, to the reality. Then, the second thing I would say, I actually I would say the two books, in addition to the Bible, of yeah. course, of course, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, but this is going to surprise some listeners, and it's not meant out of traditionalist reactions to anything, but the Roman Catechism or the Catechism of the Council of Trent mm-hmm. with the New Catechism, if you read them together, it it's very helpful. Now, why? The Roman Catechism in the 16th century was the Catechism that came out of the, the Church's Council of Trent, and what I find is very useful even now is that that catechism presents very clearly and simply and in a well-ordered uh, structure, the articles of the faith. Mm-hmm. The new catechism, of course, is the one you should cite. It's It has priority. It's the one John Paul II promulgated. The problem is it's almost too profound for most yes. people. You can get lost mm-hmm. in that.
1: It is it's, it's, it, it, it is. I mean, there's so much in it. It's, you're not just getting the forest; you're getting lots of trees. Yes. it has so many quotes from scripture, yes. from the fathers, right? It's it's beautiful, uh, and I could also imagine too, that especially as you're learning and studying it, it. It's almost like it's like drinking from a, a fire hose. Yes, and it's a little more than you can take in at once.
0: So yeah. So my con- mm-hmm. both are available on the internet. If you type in the Catechism of the Council of Trent, also mm-hmm. known as the Roman Catechism, you can find it. I would read that. It's Not very long, mm-hmm. and it talks about God, about Jesus, about the commandments, about virtue, about mm-hmm. sin, about grace, about the sacraments. Very clearly, point, point, yeah. point. And then, and also
1: interesting, by the way, that was in a time when, uh, with the partly with the Protestant Reformation, and then with the proliferation of the uh, printing press and other yes. things like that, you kind of had a destabilization of information people began to get information all over the place and it began to become confusing in my mind, very similar in a way to our, yes. where, you know, now on the internet, it's like, even like, there's not even Protestantism anymore. There's just a, like there are a million different flavors of Christianity or confusions or different stuff like this. And so in those times, it really is helpful. And I think that sense of the catechism of the council of Trent was trying to go back to the creed mm. Uh, the Apostles' Creed, as received and promulgated right by the Church, uh, and trying to articulate that in a precise and clear way in an age, in a way of kind of we almost kind of call it misinformation, and in an age of confusion, um, that's really you know beautifully. But and it's interesting too for uh, people who may not have you know thought about this before. But it was the Council of Trent as well that started seminaries. Yes, so there was a standard formation. Uh, of priests, uh, rather than just having them being formed by, you know, local bishops or, you know, local canons, uh, that might be at cathedrals. And as a result, we kind of had this huge sometimes what's called the Catholic Counter Reformation, but which is kind of silly. But anyway, but this huge Catholic, uh, vibrant expansion and reform of Catholic life. For the next several centuries, uh, that was had a huge missionary dimension, uh, generated lots of saints. Uh, so many of our beloved, uh, you know, saints of that time. And so I think you're right. That sense of that clear teaching amidst lots of confusion, even though it may seem like the Council of Trent was a long time ago, it actually I think in some ways it has it does have a lot to share with our own age.
0: Absolutely, and the parallels. That's very interesting. The, the chaos and the confusion and the proliferation of ideas in the 16th century is very similar to what we're experiencing today. I mean, Gutenberg inventing the printing press and now we have Wikipedia. Mm -hmm. So what do we, and so the Catechism of the Council of Trent as a starting place, Mm -hmm. it's not the end, it's not the only thing, but it teaches the essence of the Catholic faith, which does not change, which is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, after you've gone through the Catechism of Trent, then I would recommend read the new catechism, Mm -hmm. the catechism, which also you can find on uh, the internet, on the Vatican's own website. And that's something I would say, do a page or two a day, or a couple paragraph numbers a day. It's a long thing, it's a profound thing. And it's almost, it's theological, but it's also contemplative. But then if you want to bump it up a notch, what I would recommend, particularly for lay people, is a spiritual author who is profoundly clear and also a great philosopher and theologian, but he, he carries his philosophy and theology lightly and uses them for the spiritual life. And that's, I think he's the greatest spiritual author of the 20th century, Luis Martinez, Archbishop mm. of Mexico City in the early 20th century. He wrote two books. The first I'd recommend, which is available, reprinted in English on Amazon, is uh, Secrets of the Interior Life. If there's one book that I would give to every Catholic faithful, to read that summarizes with profundity and simplicity the theology of the spiritual life Mm -hmm. with practical points. It's Archbishop Martinez, Luis Martinez, Secrets of the Interior Life, first, and then his book, also available, Only Jesus. Incredible, as a Thomist, as a philosopher, as a theologian, it's all there. His favorite author was Cardinal Cajetan, a great Mm -hmm. Thomist of the 16th century, but he wrote so mm. profoundly, I haven't seen a better articulation of the gospel. That's with beautiful. Philosophy I, I know theology.
1: that we've uh, assigned his book, The Sanctifier. The very good, Holy which Spirit. Which I think is the third book, probably, yeah, yes. maybe in the trilogy. Uh, but yes. on the Holy Spirit for uh, understanding really moral theology as a flourishing of the gifts of the Holy Spirit mm. in the person. That's really beautiful. I also, I don't know if you have any thoughts on, I, I found... Um, uh, I think it's Monsignor Eugene Boylan, Sure, uh, this tremendous lover. Yes, uh, as a great articulation as well of this intense theological precision in terms of who Jesus Christ is, and the what what he does in moving from creation to the incarnation to the church to the sacraments to ultimately our union right with God and but tying in a way both the doctrine and the spirituality. But those are wonderful suggestions about um, uh, Luis Martinez. Luis Martinez. Those, uh, three books, I think, are are wonderful. Um, just, I wanted just to say uh, one more thing before we kind of start turning to our closing. But uh, Saint Thomas Aquinas uh, wrote a, a wonderful letter, or at least it's attributed to him, uh, to Brother John on how to study. And yeah, anyway, it's it's short. It's actually um, I, I don't know. It's Probably not, you know, 300 words or something. Uh, So it's easy to look up online uh, the letter to Brother John, as sometimes it shows up. Uh, In there, you know, a couple things that strike me is he does say, though, that we don't want to jump into the ocean when we study. We want to learn by little streams. We want to not go into hard things, but we want to begin with easy things. And I think this is really important. We don't begin theological reading and studying with the most difficult issues, <laughs> right? We begin with right the easier things. Let's try to make sure we really understand, you know, something like who Jesus Christ is or um, you know, or the the natures again of the sacraments, the commandments, creation before we get into kind of uh complicated, maybe thorny uh, either thorny philosophical issues or complicated historical issues. So I think there is that uh, important idea. I also love that he makes a suggestion in there the distinction between kind of you, you have to somewhat discipline your intellect. Curiosity is actually understood by the medievals to be a vice. Uh, curiositas, which just means kind of like aimless curiosity, versus studiositas. So like we have to not be just curious, we have to be studious. Father Victor White, who writes a little commentary on it, actually says we should have to, just as we have to, dis- we have to have chastity to somewhat order healthily our concupiscible desires, we have to have chastity of the intellect by which we order healthily our desire to know. And studiousness is that kind of virtue. Uh, and anyways, I think he just says a lot of things there. Is there anything kind of from that letter that you um, think listeners or that has struck
0: you? Yeah, I think it's it's what you said. I've, we had, when I was a student brother many years ago, one of our dear, one of the brothers in the studio with me in Washington, where I now teach, I was a student. His name was Brother John. And oh, when he discovered this yeah. letter, he's like, I feel like, and he had a hard time uh, studying. Mm-hmm. He said, I feel like this letter was written for me. <laughs> I said, you know, Brother John, maybe it was. Uh, yeah. And, but that blend of both, as you said, today, not every person should get into every single issue, Mm -hmm. either because it doesn't affect them or because it's beyond their capacity, and Thomas talks about that, but also the fact that this is about starting with the things that are most important that suit your state in life that suit where you're at and then before you go what does he, he says something to the effect that you have to before you go into the wine cellar you have mm-hmm. to what do you recall the exact um, phrase there it's been a long time since i've read yeah, that. yeah let
1: me um let me just but, check it um, but basically but you can't yes, as you said you yep, can't jump there we go love your cell by yeah. making constant use of it you there have to you like know. kind of spend time studying before yeah. you go to the wine cellar which is i think from bernard de Clairvaux,
0: which is really this kind of more heightened spiritual monastic union yes Um, so practically concretely i would say that there in the end there's no better starting point in terms of topics for the beginning to study mm -hmm. god than the creed Mm -hmm. and no theologian not even thomas aquinas himself saint john paul ii benedict the 16th not even they ever got beyond
1: the articles of the faith Mm -hmm. so
0: what Mm -hmm. we say in the creed it's one of the holiest moments Mm -hmm. in the entire mass We say, I believe in one God. And you recite Mm -hmm. all of the the summary, the heart of all of God's divine revelation. And it's about God himself, about what God has done for us, about what happens when God transforms us. So if there's a beginner that wants to begin to study Mm -hmm. uh, theology, start by the creed, getting books, listening to reliable expositions, explanations of the creed, and then to, if there's any you know uh, world-class theologians listening to this podcast that you host, I would say, I would gently, humbly encourage them to remember that even for you, great, brilliant professor of theology, you and I and Professor Dauphine, we never get beyond the creed. Mm-hmm. In the end, as Aquinas says in the beginning of the Summa, question one, all of theology is contemplation that starts from the, the principles of the faith, the principles of theology, which are the articles of the faith. hmm yeah. And through
1: those principles of the creed, yes. we come to know the reality of Amen. God who has revealed Himself. Amen. Through them, uh, that's so well put in. I, I'd love to if, if we ever get the chance. I'd love to have you back on the show and maybe talk a little bit about maybe you know that second or third stage for those who actually might want to you know study a little bit more, maybe take a class here or there, or different elements, or perhaps even those who who do want to become catechists or theologians, because I'm sure. There is so much more uh, that we could say. But you Can know, I just say you. one more thing Absolutely. about you? So, and the one thing is for the
0: listeners, and he did not tell me to say no. this, but a very excellent introduction to St. Thomas Aquinas mm-hmm. is uh, Dr. Dauphine and Professor Matthew Levering's co authored book, Knowing the Love of Christ. So if there's anyone out there, I'd like to learn more about this Aquinas guy mm-hmm. published by no- University of Notre Dame Press. It's a simple, small, clearly, faithfully written, articulated book, Knowing the Love of Christ. It's still in print. Um that's an outstanding book. Uh, and well, so I want to me- uh, recommend this because you're too humble, I'm sure, to do well, it yourself. Yeah, but. <laughs> well,
1: thank you, Father. Uh, so I just I want to ask you three quick questions before we uh, close.
0: So uh, what's a book you're reading? What is a book? I'm, I'm trying to work through Dostoevsky. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, in terms of theology, it's, it's always... Well, right, for the last several years, I've been spending most, of, a lot of time in the posterior analytics of uh, Aquinas' commentary and Aristotle's mm-hmm. examination of material logic, okay. which now all of our listeners' eyes are glazed over. But the most interesting thing would be Dostoevsky. And what I find about Dostoevsky interesting is that he's very good at looking at the profundity of human persons, both on the level of nature and then the level of grace. Mm-hmm. And I find a hard time reading literature because I'm not that artistically gifted. But in Dostoevsky it's fascinating. So mm-hmm. there's that's definitely what I'm that reading.
1: kind of yes. it is interesting. Sometimes you need somebody like Dostoevsky to portray reality so you can see reality. Yes. But you definitely have that contact with reality in his work. Uh, second question, what's a what's a practice? I know obviously yeah, as a Dominican and as a priest, you have many, right? But what's just one practice uh, that you uh, do on a regular basis or a daily basis that helps you draw closer to God for that kind of intellectual and
0: spiritual union. So I wish we had another hour to talk about Mm -hmm. this, but I have a profound devotion to the Holy name of Jesus. Mm. I think the simple prayer, Jesus and Mary, I love you. Save souls. Just said again and again and again, even if you get distracted, forget, Mm. um, there's one famous story about the Desert Fathers that there was a, a young monk that went to the desert to become a saint. That was his goal with a lot of uh, zeal. And there's this wise old monk high in the mountains in the cave and the young monk goes there and says, Father, teach me the secret to holiness. And the old monk says, okay, here's what you're gonna do. And the young monk gets out his pen and writes it down and says, say the Jesus I love you uh, 1,000 times and come back tomorrow. And the young monk very excitedly runs off. Next day he comes back, okay. To the older monk he says i've done that what do i do now mm-hmm. and the old monk says now you do that every day for the rest of your life i think wow. we can't get into it now that mm. the theology and the mm. philosophy associated with the holy name of jesus wow is powerful so that's what i that's do that's beautiful
1: it almost reminds me of aquinas There's a great scene at the in his life where he's written uh, uh, the treatment of the eucharist in the third part of the summa towards the end of his life and he Puts it before the altar, of the crucifix, and he just says, you know, wants to put all of his writing, and he says, "Here, Jesus, it's this is this is for you. I'm offering it to you." And he has a vision, right, where Jesus says to him, "Thomas, you've written well of me. You could have whatever you want. What would you like?"
0: Mm.
1: Uh, and uh, he says, "Right, nothing but you. Yes. Non nisite, nothing but you, Jesus." So I think there's something really beautiful to that. And then a last question is: Is there an idea? Or maybe, like, really, is there a false belief you held about God at some point in your life that, right, caused harm in a way to your life? And what was the truth you discovered?
0: I think it was, I had, yes, that's a very good question. There were many, I'm sure. But the one that comes to mind was that I always knew God was real. I always knew God was lovable. And I always knew God was infinite and perfect, all the attributes that we know. But in that mix, I concluded wrongly that we could actually know him. In other words, like it's almost like he's so high up, you can't really have any true knowledge about him. Mm-hmm. You can only kind of approximate it. Mm-hmm. And that's wrong. We can, like the creed, we know oh, with absolute mm-hmm. certitude, real aspects, attributes of God, mm-hmm. even if we don't comprehend or exhaust him. Mm-hmm. So when we say God is one, yes, it's true. So it that idea, true. so
1: earlier you yeah. kind of thought that like all words, not just are incomplete, they're really just kind of like in, not, not fully true, Yes, right in a way. And so there's a certain sense of
0: which that's really beautifully put. And the reason yeah. why is mm-hmm. that that was wrong is because God can use natural things and really unite them to himself, mm. words, concepts, ideas, just like he assumed a natural thing, mm. like a human nature. Yeah. God. And of course, ultimately, when we call him Jesus, right? That's, that's right.
1: That's, he is God. He <laughs> like, is in a way. And it's, it's complicated to understand that the creator is also the creature, but that's the beauty of the incarnation. Well, Father, thank you so much for being on our show. Anyway, those are, and I love those uh, tips about uh, those three books from uh, Luis Martinez. Uh, Those will be great things for readers uh, to look up. And uh, anyway, thank you so much for being on our show. It's a great joy. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast. If you like this episode, please rate and review it on your favorite podcast app to help others find the show. And if you want to take the next step, please consider joining our Annunciation Circle so we can continue to bring you more free content. We'll see you next time on The Catholic Theology Show.